0: Hello everyone and welcome to the Create Your Life series where we help you maximize your potential and results in the area of personal development, entrepreneurship, and travel. And I'm your host, Kevin Y. Brown. Create your life. Create ta propre vie. Create your life.
1: Create your life. Crea la tua
0: vita. Create your life. You better create your life. (laughs) Create your life. Create your life. Create your life. people. How are you today? Welcome to the Create Your Life episode number eight. And this is the Create Your Life series. So happy to have you here. I'm your host, Kevin Y. Brown. And today we have something very, very special for you. But before we get into this treat, I want to give you a little bit of information. And I also want to say happy Mother's Day to all of the wonderful mothers out there. In addition to that, I want to also acknowledge that May is National Foster Care Month. And that being a foster care kid, some of our Foster care alumni, actually. Some of our foster care, uh, other foster care alumni are going to have the opportunity to be here and come in and, and tell us some of their great stories out here on the show. But also, I want to definitely, before we bring our guest on, I want to talk about the difference between foster care and adoption because it's something that is often um, confused uh, between my myself and my peers, and they always ask, "Well, weren't you adopted?" I'm like, "No, oh, I was actually in foster care." So the difference between foster care, by definition, and adoption is that foster care is a system in which a, a minor has been placed into a ward group, a ward a group home, or a private home of a state-certified caregiver referred to as a foster parent, and that placement is usually uh, arranged by the government. Or a social service agency. Now, with foster with adoption is usually when a parent actually takes on the legal responsibilities of a parent. So that child is who's not their actual biological child. So oftentimes you would say that a when you're in foster care, you can always be given back. But when you're adopted, then you people usually take you on as their own. And so some of us, we have the opportunity and the blessing to uh, age out of foster care. And some of us are adopted, but nonetheless, we are usually uh, one, in, one in the same or very similar. And so I look at, you know, my friends and those brothers and sisters who have been adopted as family as well. And so today we have um, somebody who's very important to the foster care uh, world and actually to adoption as well. And so we have uh, Mr. Chris Kleminsky. Chris, please say hello to the listeners. Hey, good evening, Kevin. How are you? Doing great, man. So happy to have you here. And Chris, you, I said that you are so important to foster care, and there's a reason for that. I don't want to spill the beans and tell your exact story, but please uh, tell everyone what it is that you do and what it is that you bring and contribute to our industry and to our brothers and sisters.
1: Well, I am the owner, editor, and creator of Foster Focus Magazine. It's the only monthly foster care uh, magazine in America. And we have subscribers in all 50 states and 13 countries and have been doing that since 2011.
0: Wow, since 2011. Okay, so being that you've been doing and running Foster Focus Magazine since 2011, you are a former alumni of foster care, correct?
1: I am. I went into care when I was 14 and I aged out at 19.
0: Okay, so can you tell us about your journey through foster care, perhaps even ended up in it and what that was like for you?
1: Yeah, it was scary in the beginning. Of course, everything that's you know unknown to you is scary uh, in the beginning. But I got I got lucky. I was able to uh, I moved to a couple of different homes. I think it was four or five of them. Um, but the last one was a it was a real great couple, uh, an older couple. They 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 took me in and then made me part of their family uh, until until I found out that uh, that they were paying for me uh, after the age of eighteen and. I'm a big fella. I take a lot of showers. I eat a lot of food, so I felt I felt a little guilty about that. So I signed myself out of care. Um, I I was dating a woman who is pretty much the age I am. Creepy in retrospect, but uh, (laughs) she let me stay with her for a little bit, and then she moved to Michigan, and I was homeless. So uh, not the greatest choice. And then the school found out that I didn't have an address, so they kicked me out like two weeks before graduation. So not
0: my best choice, Kevin. <laughs> mm-hmm. Not your best choice, but a choice nonetheless. And I know that you've had an, a, an interesting journey. Um, so you moved out, lived on your own, had a, a girlfriend who was a little bit older, and you, you stayed with her, and then you got, she left. And then so you got kicked out of high school. So what did, tell us about your educational experience. You know, And did actually being in care, did that affect your educational experience? Like did you switch schools or switch cities, things like that? How did that work out for you?
1: Well, I did switch schools a few times, but I'm a pretty sharp whip so it didn't really affect my, my overall status. I did lose some basketball eligibility uh because of the moves. Um but once once I left care I uh I, I lived in that lady's house and I call her lady because she was she was in her forties. She was basically Stella and I was that guy from the island. But, <laughs> <laughs> but she 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 left and her her landlord was was uh, unattentive. So I got to live there for roughly, I'd say, a month. Mm -hmm. Um, I had a prom party for all the kids that went to the prom. They came in, they saw my wicker furniture in my living room, and and they left. (laughs) (laughs) And and then eventually the landlord did come around, did notice that I was not a 30-something-year-old woman, and asked me to leave. And so I did. Uh, And I bounced around for a little bit until my best friend's mom, um, found out my situation. It, it kind of forced me to stay mm-hmm. at their house, uh, and then the next day she took me to get my GED, and the day after that I was enrolled in the community college, and the day after that I was catching my breath. <laughs> so,
0: okay. So you interesting were catch- week. How was community college? How was your journey there?
1: I remember the basketball season. <laughs> I okay. got to play college ball, so that was that was really the main goal of going to college. I've never been. Um, any kind of academic, I'm not real big in the school uh, classes. Kind of put me to sleep. I'm more of a hands-on, let's get to, let's do something type of person. So, uh, I, I lasted in college as long as I could, uh, which was a basketball season. And then I went to work for newspapers in the area.
0: Okay. Well, I think that that's important. You know, one of the reasons why we ask about educational journeys on the Create Your Life series is because a lot of people, you know, the trailblazers and entrepreneurs like yourself, there are different educational levels, you know, and there's no one set way to do things. And so I think that it's very important for us to always have uh, to highlight the different educational journeys and the different routes that people take, you know, because statistically... You know, they say that, oh, you know, foster care, 80 percent of the pe- of kids are people who are homeless, were foster care children. You know, 60 percent of uh, inmates are, are foster care children. And then they talk about the low graduation rate. But just because you have a low graduation rate in school doesn't mean that you have a low success rate, you know. And so I I'll commend you on being that that role model and that that person who who stands out from the pack, you know, who has your own uh, traditional uh, path. That being said, you talked about working in newspapers. Were the newspapers, was that your segue into getting into a magazine, into your own magazine, or what was your experience like then? So right after junior college, did you go straight into newspapers?
1: Right. Uh, well, I had worked in, in high school. I'm one of the youngest people to be published on the front page of, of the, the paper of the town I lived in. Wow. There was a fire at the YMCA where I was playing basketball in the sauna, and we all had to go outside, and I was looking around. And I didn't see anyone with a pen and pad, so I, I just assumed it wasn't being covered. And the newspaper office was about a block away, so I ran over there and pounded the Janitor gave me a pen and a pad, and then I, I wrote up the story. I interviewed the, the firefighters, figured out what was going on. I wrote up the story uh, right there at the newspaper, and then I went home, and I was grounded because I was... Clearly passed my curfew, and I wasn't allowed to say why or where I was. I was just was told to go to my room, and and the next morning I came down, and my name was on the front page of the paper, and I did not get grounded that day. So that was a that was my introduction to newspapers, uh, and then it, it's always been a place where I felt comfortable going. Um, you know, you said about how you know we struggle a little bit at school, and and some of us you know take a different path. I think foster care lends itself to that. It's helter-skelter when you're in care, you're moving around, there's always something happening, there's always other kids in the house. And and I think, you know, that makes it kind of difficult to be in school and sit still and and to, you know, my kids have, you know, a good hour after school where they can kind of decompress and not nothing's going on. They can go in their own room and, and kind of let the world go away. And not a lot of foster kids have that. So your mind's always going, you're always ready for something to happen. Mm-hmm. And I think that lends itself to entrepreneurship. I mean, you always want to be doing something, and school just doesn't lend itself to always wanting to do something. It's a lot of sitting and being told what to do. yeah. Uh, and that that doesn't really jive with, uh, with, with foster kids because we're always being told what to do.
0: Absolutely, always being told what to do. You know, it's funny that you say that because I... I pride myself on being rebellious, you know it 's like in my DNA, I feel like it 's in all of our DNA as foster care children, but you said something that I thought was really important is that being in foster care you 're moving around so much that you have the opportunity or hone, honing it correctly, you have the ability to adapt and to basically you i, I don 't want to say you can shift and you could kind of be a chameleon in different um, in different environments because you you're so used to things changing. It's it's funny because I had this, conver- I was having this conversation actually with a, a friend yesterday on the bus and she said, well, what what is foster care like? And I said, it's like being on the outside of the inside of a family. Meaning that, That's good. That's good. yeah, meaning that, you know, you're like family, but at some point you're going to be reminded that you're not family. You know, whether that be because you don't look like everyone else, because you just got there and people have questions and things like that. And so, Some days, and I told her about one of my experiences is one day I went to school and I guess my foster dad and mother had gotten into a a disagreement and they were separating. And so my social worker showed up there at school and told me that, you know, come on. I I got the call slipped to my classroom, went to the principal's office and there my social worker was and said, come on, we're going to grab your things. You're moving, you know, and so right then in that moment, this is eighth grade. And right there in that moment, my whole life had shifted. And so, like you said, you know, it prepares you for later on in life. So, as an adult, you know, when you face hard times and things like that, you're quick to adapt, and you know how to adapt because you're you've been doing this for so long. And so, absolutely,
1: it's a survival mechanism.
0: Right, right. So, for you, you say you have you have kids and, and a family. So, how do you how do you man? One of my biggest questions, you know, for you would be being that you were in foster care and that you had this experience that sometimes was better than others, how do you keep your past or, you know, the not so good times of foster care, how do you keep that out of your household?
1: Oh, yeah, that's a a great question, Kevin. And it's it's not something that everyone can do, but I'm I'm a very self-aware person. I'm, I'm constantly in the moment, which is sometimes to my detriment. Sometimes things fall through the cracks and, and I miss things, but I'm I'm in the moment, and I'm aware of what I'm saying. I'm aware of what I'm doing, uh, especially in times of conflict. And and you know maybe that stems from qu- from care because things kind of slow down when things get heated for me. The tension rises, uh, the clock kind of ticks a little bit slower, and I'm able to see all the different angles. And and you said a great a great word that's been a part of my vocabulary since care is adapt and adjust. Mm. And and that's just what I do, and that's just what you have to do. And and the great thing about being in care—it's a great thing—is <laughs> that ability to adapt and adjust. And you said chameleon. Chameleon's actually my pen name when I write things outside of the world of foster care. Oh wow! Uh, that, that's part of my pen name because that's a that's a talent that you learn. And it's a, actually not so much you learn. You you, you kind of earn it. You kind of gotta you gotta go through the the regiment of care. You gotta be the new kid of the house. You gotta bow your chest out and. You gotta be, you know, a little tougher than you actually were. Um but you don't have to do that when it's your family. You know, I come mm. home now and, and I don't have to eat my food as fast as I did when I was in care. Yeah. I, it took a lot of years for my wife to tell me, you know, you're you're eating like, you know, you're in jail. And I said, Well Absolutely. there was three other kids at the table. I had to eat like I was in jail. They didn't get my cornbread. Yeah, <laughs> so <laughs> So you learn you learn to. to to normalize yourself. And and not that none of us aren't normal to start, but, you know, it's an abnormal situation being in care. It's abnormal to sit at someone else's table and eat their food and and try and get enough of it.
0: No, Um, that's very very true, man. I mean, you just touched on something that, it's funny because, you know, as foster care children, we have some experiences that are similar. And what you just said about food and and slowing down on eating, um, when I was, I would say, maybe around five years old, I moved to to Vallejo, California. And as I got older, my foster mother would make me sit on my hands for 10 to 20 seconds in between bites to make sure that I chewed because she would say, boy, you're inhaling your food. You're inhaling your food. But it was just it became second nature. You know, if even as a five-year-old, because of living in the group homes and having moving around and, you know, sometimes if you show up two minutes too late, then there's no food on the table. So I definitely understand and, and can relate to what it is that you're saying right now.
1: If not everyone has had sleep for dinner, Kevin. They don't understand what that feels like to just have air for supper. Yeah. <laughs> That's the, not everyone gets to feel that sting, so... You know, when you tell people who never experienced anything like that 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 was your life, you know, they they look at you a little silly. So you know, yeah, it's it's an experience in itself. I mean, it, there's there's not a whole out a whole out there a whole lot out there that's similar to care. I mean, mm. there's there's just not.
0: Got gotcha. you. So when you when you're talking about this, so not only are you you running, you have you have three children, correct? Yes. Yep. You, have, you have three children. You you have a successful marriage because you've been married for how long again, Chris? I was, was going to say 13 in, in the hopes that I don't get yelled at. 13 years. <laughs> Your wife's probably right there listening, like, you better get it right. You better get it right. No,
1: don't I've got. I've got to see. This is, why, this is why my marriage works. We have a radio show right now, so mm-hmm. everyone is at a grandma's house making sure that there's no noise in the house to dad. Oh, so, yeah, wow. That's why it works, because we all kind of accommodate each other.
0: Ah. See, and here I was, I was about to segue and ask you, how does how does one maintain an entrepreneurship, be a foster kid, former foster kid, well, we're always foster kids for life, and also run a successful marriage? Do you have any uh, relationship tips for those of us out there who aspire to have a relationship success like you in the future?
1: Well, I'm not going to lie and say don't argue any nonsense like that because I argue like I'm on Judge Judy. So <laughs> that's that's not one of the tips that I'll give. I will say... You know, there's an old cliche, never go to bed angry, and that's that's that's, that's a good one to have. you got to understand that much Much like, you know, these little fights, these are temporary. There's probably an easy solution, you know, and if we can settle ourselves down for more than five minutes and talk it out, we're going to find that solution. And, you know, I have, like I said, I have, a, I have a really great wife, so if she's wrong, I mean, it might take a couple of days, Kevin. I'm not going to lie, but if she's wrong, she'll say something, you know, down the road. And then I am absolved of all my problems, uh, but you know it doesn't happen right away. Never in the moment is she wrong. You know, if you've been with a with a, with a, with a you know significant other for more than ten minutes, they're almost never wrong yeah. in the moment. It's always like five, ten minutes. They won't say nothing for a couple of days either. But yeah, you just gotta you gotta be aware. I mean, it's it's a it's a compromise and a partnership and. And I'm not always going to get my way, and I've got to bite my lip when 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 it's time to bite my lip and when it's time to take a stand on something. you know, hopefully my logic is right and she'll see it, and, and we have no, no real problems. So we've always been able to come together on pretty much everything. There's not too much that we disagree on at this point.
0: Wow. So it sounds like, you know, compromise and honesty is really what... What helps your relationship stay um, afloat? And I remember you saying you said two things earlier uh, to me when we were talking, because the funny part is, is Chris, I've known you for a while and we actually just met last April. Right. Mm-hmm. But I've known I've we've emailed and things like that. And we actually know uh, Miss Evelyn Hart lady from uh, my hometown of Vallejo in common as well.
1: As I was going to say, we have a mother in common. Yeah, absolutely.
0: We have a mother in common. So, happy Mother's Day to you, uh, Miss Evelyn, God, Mom E. But.
1: <laughs> she's going to love that. Yeah, <laughs> she's, she's going to eat that up. Yeah.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. She's going to say, oh, my children, they're together. Oh, the... my children. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Mommy E. Happy Mother's Day, Mommy E. Yeah.
0: Happy, happy Mother's Day. Um, But you. You had said, you know, that there's a, a sense of humor that you keep in your household. And then you had also talked about the the relationship that you have with your wife is one of where she kind of gives you freedom to create. So I'd like you to just expound upon those two things a little bit more, if you
1: could. Right. Well, you know, being in care, you're going to go one of two ways. You're going to be an open book or you're going to be, you know, a closed book. And I took the first option. And so right from the giddy up, she knew I was a little nutty. Uh, she knew I had big aspirations and she knew I didn't like to work for people. So at some point, and and I told anybody from, you know, from college on that at some point I was going to start a a foster care magazine. So this wasn't a big surprise. Um, it's just the rigors of life, you know, paycheck to paycheck. And, And I'm not, I'm not far from being paycheck to paycheck. I mean, there's not a whole lot of money in the foster care industry. Um, but we have a we have like like you said a great sense of humor. I mean, my kids have the comedic timing of Jerry Seinfeld, uh, and my little my little Eva is maybe funnier than Kevin Hart. They're the same size. They're like three <laughs> foot tall, but she might be funnier. Um, but yeah, we have to you have to. I mean, the stuff I cover is it's heavy, Kevin. It's heavy stuff and. I need people around me that are that are upbeat and, and happy and not moping and not pouting. And in this house, if you start pouting, have you ever slept in the park? No? You haven't? Okay, smile. Go back to your room. <laughs> you know, it's a, there's there's when your dad, you know, slept in a park, you can't really pout because you didn't get that Xbox three sixty game. It's just it's not co- it's not good, it's not kosher, it doesn't make sense. Right. And I have kids that, that are smart enough to realize that there are bigger problems in the world than their problems, uh, so so they keep a good a good personality, a good attitude about themselves. So, so yeah, no, it's a lot of laughter. You would think this was a sitcom. We <laughs> walked around this house at any given moment. It's it's just nonstop, crack you up. Yeah, it's a good time here.
0: Okay, so let me ask you this: you you talked about sleeping in the park uh, during your foster care experience or post foster care. What was that experience like? Because I, I remember you you had this sing about there are things that are worse than felling. So what like what are some of those things and tell us a little bit more about you sleeping in a park or being homeless. How did that come about?
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, when in college, uh I had a roommate move out because, you know, like I said, I'm a little muddy. Um and I was living off of I think a dollar 25 a day. Every day I go to the to the store and I would get a bottle of uh of generic soda and a bag of generic chips, and that was the day's food um and I rolled that wave as long as I could, and then i just I didn't have any money to pay for rent um so I kind of had to just kind of go out into the world and you know it's it's rough out there, and there were times before that happened uh where where I had to sleep out in the in the in the cold and like I said yeah th- yeah there's a lot worse things than than you know if I don't sell x amount of subscriptions this month and there's there's less, there's worse things if if my printer has to wait a week for for a check um, because yeah there's been nights where I you know went to sleep and that was food and there's been times where I slept there you know it, it was I, I'm surprised I got through the night it was so cold and. I slept in sheds and I slept in the backseat of cars and, you know, you make do when, when you have no other choice. I, I mean, things got better when I moved above a dog kennel. If that, if that's any indication. <laughs> <laughs> I moved above a dog kennel and stuff was starting to come come together for me. <laughs> so, so that was, yeah, there was a period of time there where it was pretty dark, uh, uh, but you have, you know, friends, uh, a couple of them that you can count on. Right. Um, and even if you can't, you, you know, you you got to understand that that you're you're worth something. And at some point, everyone's going to know that. And so you just kind of, when you get too cold, you just kind of, you know, you kind of start thinking about those dreams or those aspirations that you have. And that kind of will get you through the night. And, but then you still have to do the work. And Dreams and aspirations. Yeah, when you're cold and you're hungry, you can't do the work. That's the thing that people forget. And that's the thing that that drives me crazy when people talk about people who are poor. If you're worried all day long about getting something to eat, you are not going to be able to put together something creative or, you know, strap your boots up and and work blindly. It's it's nearly impossible to focus on anything but self-preservation when you find yourself in those situations. So... Yeah, it took a while before I could find my feet and uh, moved in with my my well, what is my wife now and and uh, it took as many temp jobs as I could and yeah, you find your way but yeah no there's so it, it, the the drive comes from being that desperate.
0: Got you. So yeah, that's exactly what I wanted to wanted to embellish on is how did you when you felt like giving up what were those key things that really helped you push through that? I mean, you know, not even Jimmy
1: Kevin, if you're not familiar with Jim Valvano, Jim Valvano was the coach of the NC State uh, NCAA basketball team that won the championship against Five Slam Pajama, which was Akim Elijah Wan and just huge, huge dude. And nobody expected him to win. And so he became kind of like a national treasure because he was just so happy and excited to have won and attuned about it. But then he got cancer. And when he got cancer, um, he was visibly, you know, yeah, visibly dying on stage uh, at an ESPN event, right. and he kept saying, you know, don't give up, don't ever give up. They can take away, you know, your health and and, and, and and the people around you, but they can't take away, you know, your heart and your mind. And you know, and when 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 I start to feel any kind of down, regardless of how dire the situation is. I think about one step worse, you know, so when I'm when I'm sleeping outside, you know, I'm still breathing, I'm still healthy. Uh, you know, I this I can find a place to live, you know, but if I had if I had some kind of, you know, sickness, you know, that would be the end of it and there's, you know, I can't fix that. So let's just focus on the stuff I can fix and hope that things don't get worse and and, and that's generally how I handle Pretty much everything, you know, let's just handle what's in front of us and hope it doesn't get worse. And if we can handle it right
0: now, it won't get worse. Gotcha. And that makes a a lot of sense. And I feel like that is a model for us. You know, that's something that we that we learn is you you realize and you think, like you said, things slow down in a moment and you see, okay, this is not as bad as it seems, you know, and. I can make it through it. Please tell us a little bit more. Like, What does Foster Focus Magazine, what aspects of foster care uh, does the magazine actually focus on?
1: Foster Focus Magazine is the only monthly foster care magazine, and, and I basically cover all the aspects of foster care, um, for things that social workers will benefit from, things like judges, lawyers, causes. Um, alumni, and I write a lot of content. Um, there's a lot of outside experts that that write articles for the magazine. I've been very fortunate. I've had I say at least a handful of, of New York Times bestsellers write for the magazine, and and tons of experts. And if you have anything to do with foster care or adoption, there's going to be something in the magazine that's going to help you, or you know, something you're going to want to read each month. So it's 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 been a, it's been a good experience. I've got great writers like Dr. John DeGarmo and Ron Shrotino and Shalita O'Neill, and and just a mess of other great great names.
0: Wow, with so many foster youth willing and ready are alumni. Do you let current youth write as well, or is it just for alumni, or how How do you decide?
1: Well, if the current youth has permission from their from their guardian, then, yeah, I'll absolutely let them write. So, and I've had poems. I've had, you know, I think my youngest writer, her last name is uh, Rose, and, and she's, I'm going to say, 17 or 18 now. Um but she's been writing for a little bit for the magazine, so yeah. If they're in care and their 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 guardian's open to it, yeah, they can absolutely write. Alumni get first crack uh, at pages, um, and I'll tell you what, you would expect that alumni want to tell their stories, uh, but that's not the case. A lot of alumni want to want to write articles about about things that impact foster care and foster kids, and and, and generally they they don't you know they don't want to give their bio. They just you know want to do something to help the cause, so. Yeah, it's been it's been it's been an experience. It's been a lot of fun, and I've met you know just hundreds and hundreds of people, wow. um, and just great people. And I've got to travel the country and, and meet them in person and spend time with them and see what makes their brains tick. And that's been the most fun. I mean, it's fun to get subscribers, and it's fun to get you know new advertisers, and it's and it's always good when you know something hits the mainstream media that you wrote in. And that happens on occasion. But but the most fun is it's just me and all these people who, you know, even if they haven't gone through the leadership track of, of foster care, they, right. they found a way to make it uh, and make an impact on, on foster care. Impact. That's been a lot of fun.
0: Got a question for you about impact, you know, because now I've seen a lot of changes in policy. And that's been heavily due to foster care children and alumni being a part of the policy program. It's like as if when you're growing up in care, you don't have a voice. But as of recent, you know, in the last, let's say, eight or nine years, we've definitely been allowed to have a voice. I've even heard a quote, it's nothing about us without us, meaning that we should be yeah. included in the decisions that are going to impact us. I, I want to ask you this, because it's something I've actually never even discussed with you. Were you a part of the generation, and I mean, I'm a part of this generation, but were you a part of the generation when once you turned 18, you are absolutely, resources are cut off? Were you a part absolutely. of that? Absolutely. Okay. Yeah,
1: absolutely. Yeah, I was part of the generation where they were losing kids in Florida, just Losing them, don't know where they are. <laughs> I was part of that generation. We are the pre-fostering uh, connections Act kids. I right. think. Absolutely. And things got a lot better uh, after after that that law was passed. But I'll tell you what, we're involved in everything, and it's a nonpartisan issue. Which, in you know, right now, you know, the climate that we're in with the the election, uh, right. this is the one issue that they don't really fight about. Um, they don't. really Bicker or, or, or take over anything—they uh, they, kind of all just kind of what's best for the kids, and let's, let's go with that. And there's some real powerful leaders um, who are really open to dealing with alumni and current kids, and that's a big difference. Back when we were in care, you couldn't—you couldn't point out a senator or congressperson who who cared about foster care. And, and then since then, I mean, right now, Karen Bass is the the chair of the. Uh, of the Foster Youth Caucus, and she's involved in so many things that are foster care related, and you just don't see that. And then you got Rafael Lopez, who's the commissioner, and he's really heavily involved and really, really enjoys uh, alumni commentary. So, yeah, no, it's a good time, uh, if if you're a part of the policy world, it's a good time to get your voice heard. I mean, there's Shadow Days on D.C. and CCAI and, and Foster Club and SCAA. I mean, these are all these are all powerful, you know, grassroots agencies that have that that come into their own. So, you know, it's, it's a good time if you, if you want to get your voice heard.
0: Like you said, the momentum has been building. And I credit one person in particular for even getting me involved in, in foster care as an alumni. Because, you know, your first idea and thought after you gra- graduate or emancipate out of care is I don't ever want to be associated with that again. You know, but Uh, now you have the opportunity to, you can stay in care until you're 21, you know, some places 23, 24 years old, and you can still keep all of the benefits and things like that that and that was those are options that weren't available before you know as well as like dental and, and just i mean medical all these different things you have access to in these resources and so when when speaking with a lot of youth and you know doing presentations and stuff i always say hey man foster care is actually an opportunity because you have to say what resources would you have available to you if you were with your biological family would you still have the same resources would you still have the same opportunities to you know to have independent living to have you know, people, a social worker, you know, who's available on call and who can assist you or who's just an example of what a successful human is, you know, something as simple as that, who a successful human is that has a higher education that goes to work consistently. You know, sometimes that's not the, the reality. And so you have, your magazine is called Foster Focus. And uh-huh. that's a, a great name because it, it's very specific. But I have to ask you, how did that name come about?
1: it's <laughs> a it's a great story, Kevin uh, <laughs> so I had this tiny little office uh in this in this office building uh, and I shouldn't have had an office to be honest with you. I didn't have any money for an office um but one lunch hour uh, I'm sitting there, and the name of my magazine I named it after the run d m c song hard time and i I decided that I wasn't a hundred percent sure if I loved the name i I really thought it was a good one. But I thought I'd check with people who knew what they were doing uh, in, in reference to what you were just saying, somebody who's been there before. Uh, and I called around, and everybody hung up on me. I called every ad agency in New York, even though I'm not from New York. I called up every ad agency in New York, and I tried to get somebody on the phone. And finally, I got some guy who was clearly eating his lunch. And, and, and he said, you have, you have a minute. Tell me, what do you need? And I said, well, I've got a magazine that's about to debut, um, and the name of it is Hard Times. And he said, it's a jail magazine. Uh, I said no, no, no. And he says, this "Is it some kind of uh, some kind of of uh, you know porn industry magazine?" I said, "No, no, no." He said, "Well, it's a terrible name, but you got to get rid of it." He said, "Give me another name, quick, top of your head." I said, uh, "Foster Focus." He said, "It's brilliant," and he hung up the phone. And <laughs> so that's how that's how my name was. Some guy shamed me and, <laughs> and then gave me the stamp of approval on a quality name. So yeah, that's how the that's how the name was. Uh, that's how the name was put out there. And, and and I just want to touch on something that you just said about opportunity. These opportunities come because people like uh you know, uh Shalita O'Neill and Lupe To Tope about her last name. Um, but people like that, the original folks that, that, that wouldn't be quiet in the beginning, these these are the reasons that there's so many opportunities now. Um and, and one of the big ones that I know you want to talk about was Misty Stenzel. So these are people that just would not shut down when it got hard and and when they when they started to feel like they weren't making any any headway it was people like Misty Stensley that that stepped up and said no no we're going to get there let's just stick with it and and it's because people like that that there are opportunities for kids who are in care now and and there's scholarships available and there's there's staying after the age out limit and there's going to be health insurance for you i mean these are all things that pioneers like Misty Fensley uh, who just recently passed away, and I know yes. it's somebody that you were close with. Um, this is, these are things that they put in place, and, and that they got to see come to fruition. So, there's a lot to be said for the for the people, the advocates, the, whether they be alumni or allies of alumni. There's a lot to be said for those people because those people are what moves you know the congressmen to pass bills and and gets you know people like Sixto Cancel, um,
0: Lisa Dickinson.
1: Yeah, I guess been to get these people, you know, brought to the to the uh, to the White House to be champions of change, and, and yeah, it's it's you know, and like I like I said before, where it's, it's a great time to get your voice heard. It's also a great time to to be acknowledged for the work that you've done, and 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 that's something that foster kids uh, generally they don't get celebrated, and, and so it's been nice to see that happen.
0: Yes, absolutely, and I'm. Because she's near and dear to my heart, I want to retouch on uh, Misty Stinsley. You know, it was uh, the summer of 2007, I believe, and I was in Atlanta, and I was driving around doing nothing, and and God, Mom E, actually, Mom E, she... Gives me a call, and she says, hey, there's this, this conference going on in Atlanta. It's called the It's My Life Conference. And I'm like, okay, well, what is that? And she says, you should go by there. It's for foster care uh, alumni and, and foster care kids. I'm like, why would I be going back around foster care? And so she's she's telling me, she's saying, hey, you, you know, you should just go. Just get, just think about it, because she knows how I am. And she, she's like, just give, just give it a thought and, you know, go by there. I would really appreciate it if you went by there. And, of course, you don't want to disappoint Mom E, so I go by And who do I see? I see this lovely redhead who is, uh, she's just overcome this huge smile, just love, like exuding from her. And she comes up to me. She says, hey, how are you? Who are you? I said, I'm Kevin Brown. She's like, have you ever done any time in foster care? How'd you get here? And she's asked me a bunch of questions. I'm like, oh, well, you know, my godmother thought that I should come and... You know, I heard that this is for foster care children and this that and other. She says, "Have you? Are you a foster care alumni?" And I said, oh, "Yeah, I spent a little bit of time there." And she was like, "Oh, really? Me too. What ages were you in care from?" I say, "From nine months until eighteen, and then I emancipated." And she says, "Oh, wow. Well, what are you doing all the way here? Did you come for the conference?" And I'm like, "Well, I went to college here, so I'm just kind of around." And she says, "Oh, well, you you seem pretty smart. You seem intelligent. You should sign up for Foster Care Alumni of America." I'm like, "Foster Care Alumni of America? What is that?" And so she's saying. She tells me what it is, and and she's like, oh, but, you know, there's a... And then she says, oh, yeah, this is a great opportunity. This is for us to get our voices heard. And I'm like, I don't really think I want to be around foster care. And so then she says, well, I'm going to sign you up, and we're going to waive the fee for you the first year. We just need more great people like you, our foster care brothers and sisters. And I'm like, all right, whatever. And... Through a little bit more conversation, I found myself on the plane the next month, like in Washington, D.C., flying to Seattle, doing advocacy work uh, with Casey Family Programs and on Capitol Hill, all due to this woman who decided that I was great enough to be a part of this movement. And that woman was Misty Stinsley, who you just mentioned, Chris, who actually died a couple of weeks ago. And is very sad because she was such a strong champion and, like you said, one of those pioneers who had a voice and who had a way of motivating you to really get involved and to care. And I have to—there's one other thing. I feel like I'm hogging up your interview. But there's one other thing that I need to say is that she helped us—we had the first— foster care um, Thanksgiving on the steps of Capitol Hill due to Misty Stinsley, and I thought that that was amazing. And that, personally, for me, was the first time I ever felt at home uh, during Thanksgiving up to that point. So it was very awesome. So, Chris, I have have
1: to I have that picture uh, of all of you in front of the Capitol on my computer here, and you all look very, very happy. And, yeah, no, she was that kind of lady. And I'll tell you what, I've been doing this for and, in the fifth year now, and not one person has anything bad to say about Miss Sensley. not one no, and not that's crazy. that's pretty impressive uh, in, a, in the competitive world of speakers and advocates and and, and that but uh, yeah, no she is a and I, and I got to see her a uh, couple weeks before she passed away, and she was in high spirits and she talked very happily and openly about her advocacy and all those people that she helped train and how proud she is of all of you. And, yeah, no, she was, uh, you know, we're going to tell her life story in the magazine this month, and and, and rightfully so. And that's another perk about it in the magazine, is they get to commemorate lives that wouldn't otherwise be commemorated because, you know, not everyone knows what B. Simpsley has done. They, they don't understand that the reason that kids in care and alumni have a seat at the table when these big discussions are going on is because she... You know, nudged her way onto the table. Right. So it, yeah, and you just gave a really nice testimonial about her, and I'm sure, you know, the other alumni would appreciate what you said. She was, she was, uh, to
0: say the least. Yeah, truly one of a kind. I mean, I would not be, I would probably wouldn't even be on this radio show right now, nor would I have spoken in Japan or in Australia or all across the country. Have this occupation of being a speaker had it not been for her, because she was that, that pushing the back that I needed in order to take on uh, such an occupation. And you know, speaking of Misty and you like you just said that you have the opportunity to interview a lot of different alumni of Care who have been some of your favorites uh that you've interviewed so far and why.
1: Well, um well the biggest one the f- it was the biggest one was the first uh big interview I got and that was with Jimmy Graham when he was still on the Saints and mm-hmm. I was uh... doing some work with the Urban League, and they had their big conference in New Orleans, and it just timed out perfectly. I was able to go to Saints training camp and, and interview him. He's not much bigger than me. I'm not saying I could be uh, an All-Pro NFL tight end. I'm just saying it didn't look that hard.
0: But, but uh, you're not that small, <laughs> that though, Chris.
1: was a real fun interview uh... to get to see somebody that you that you, you see on TV every Sunday, and there have been a lot since. uh... And, and, and last year. You and I got to rub shoulders with Darren Yeah, DMC,
0: Mister
1: McDaniel's. I call him Mister. We're not we're not we're not <laughs> that close yet, um, but we but it's 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 great. And he gave me an award in New Jersey a couple of years back. So it's been it's been it's been really cool to to interact with people that I see on TV. But um, a lot of the really great interviews and Misty just she just took the the, the head of the leaderboard. Um, as far as interviews go because she's just such, such an impressive person. Um but yeah, Mia M- Dard- Dar- uh, Vardalis from my Big Fat Greek Wedding. I've I've gotten to interview uh nearly the whole cast of the Fosters, which is on Freeform, which was A B C Family at one point. Um and it's just been yeah, it's been it's been a ride. <laughs> I mean, uh, won an Angel and Adoption Award and, and got to got to see uh uh, the Chewie's from Blindside, and 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 the fella from The Duck Dynasty with the big big beard. So and and Wolverine, Hugh Jackman was at the uh, event that I was at. So it's been it's been that's been fun. But I'll tell you what, the most fun has been watching the the kids get uh, adopted. Um, and, and and before I before I start talking about this, I want to preface it by saying I don't know if the magazine is the catalyst that gets these kids adopted, but I get to feature them in the magazine, and when they get adopted. You know whether it's deserved or not. I, I I feel a little bit of that pride, and 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 then I take a little bit of uh, of happiness from from them being in families. So uh, yeah, no. This I'll tell you what. For for just ending the fifth year, I have it's been a whirlwind. It's it's. Uh, I think the magazine the magazine is about to surpass the amount of time I spent in care. Which, which I didn't expect to happen. So that's uh, that's that's uh, been something else. But I get to meet guys like you, and we get to go to, you know, I'd be I'd be remiss if I didn't mention the alumni powerhouse conference that's coming up at the end of the, of the middle of this month in Baltimore, yes. uh, which you were a speaker at. You did a fine, wonderful job <laughs> uh, <you>. last year. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I get to hang out, and we get to all get together like that. And when that happens, you know, I'm not so angry about the sleepless nights and, <laughs> and all the money that's spent. Uh, because we get to we get to, you know, basically all get together and be a family, which is probably the most fun I get to have doing this job.
0: Yeah, absolutely. It's definitely um it's a it's a pleasure. It's one of those things that I kinda call like a labor of love. You know, where you're doing it because you care. It's not necessarily it's not about the money, it's about the quality of the work that you do. And funny enough, you have a philosophy Um, that you kind of go by. And what is this? uh, It's a four-week philosophy that you have? What is that four-week philosophy?
1: Well, I have have several four-week philosophies. I think the one that you're talking about is that you can get good or learn anything in four weeks. Mm -hmm. Uh, Is that the one that you're talking about? Absolutely, that's the one. Okay, good. (laughs) (laughs) I have a lot of these. My wife hates them. (laughs) Uh, But, no, I believe, I believe, uh, I believe that, like I said, I'm not a school guy. I'm not a guy who benefited from being an academic in academia and but now I'm surrounded by people who are so I, I respect them and I kind of admire the ability to learn that way i I kind of absorb everything and and pick it up as I go when I started in newspapers, I didn't know how to lay out a newspaper to save my life so I watched the kid who I was going to replace for four weeks or it was actually two weeks at that time um, and for two weeks I didn't touch a mouse on the computer I didn't do anything. And when, it was, when he said, All right, it's time to see what you can do, I did it exactly like he did. Mm. So I believe if you watch close enough, if you pay attention enough, you can pretty much learn anything in a month. And, and, and that makes you highly employable. <laughs> and then also, I mean, I guess that can come from care too, because you spend short spurts at a place. Right. You know, when I did temp work, it was the same thing. You walk in, make people love you, and then, you know, do your job, and then you leave, and hopefully they like you enough to call you back.
0: Right. And then as you go from job to job, then you find different uh, commonalities and different tasks that end up being the same. So then you can repeat them and master them and uh, become better. And so my question to you would be, being that you've interviewed and that you get to interview with so many people across the country, across the world, you know, in care. What are some of the commonalities that you find amongst us foster care children?
1: Well, A lot of what we talked about today, a lot of that adapting and adjusting, a lot of uh, reading the room when you walk in, the ability to kind of shift your personality to match the people around you. A lot of that, that's kind of universal. There's also a drive um, and I think that comes from whether or not it's intentional. When Mm -hmm. you put a kid in care, you're kind of saying you're less than. Right. And so there's a drive. I see it with you. I see it with Rhonda, I see it with, with Shalita, with definitely and Misty, um, Daniel Jennings, I can go on and on. Absolutely. Um, they all want to prove that they're worth something. And so that kind of determination, I think, is kind of innate in foster kids. Listen, so there's two ways you're going to come out of foster care. You're going to either want to take the world by the horns, or you're going to want to cower into the corner and just live your life uh, unnoticed. I find that a lot more of them want the life uh, not in the spotlight but a life worth living a life of substance a life where something is being accomplished where they're making a difference where they're impacting something or someone a life Um, worth creating
0: is that what you're saying like create your life is that what you're saying am
1: i saying saying i I believe i am kevin i believe i am (laughs) i am i believe i am saying that they are creating their own lives (laughs) <laughs> and, uh, and No matter which accent you say it in, uh, it's it's definitely something worth noting that that you don't have to take the hand that you were dealt. That you can make it better for yourself, and and that's that's why we get along because you have a message that's worth telling, and and I support it. And yeah, no, you have to you have to create your own life because listen, all this stuff is temporary. Care is Absolutely. Temporary. temporary. Relationships are temporary. Life is temporary. If, if you take all your time and, and all your tension and all your your struggle, and you you wrap it up in these temporary moments, not only are you missing the moment, you know, which might not be as bad as you think it is, but you're also you know impacting the next moment. You're you're giving yourself a hill to climb up and a rock to push, and you don't need to. Just you know walk up the hill slowly, find the path that makes the most sense to you, and at some point you'll end up at the top of the hill or as close
0: as you can get to it. So what would you say to the kid that wants to grab their life by the horns, who wants to take control and create their life? What would you say to that foster kid or to that kid out there or person out there in general? What would you say to them?
1: Don't wait. I did this thing. I I had this plan for eight years, and then one day I said, hey, we have enough money, let's go.
0: Talking about the magazine?
1: Absolutely. Okay. So don't don't wait, and don't think you can't do it on your own. I have done it. Every part of this magazine, except with the exception of the articles, where, which are contributed by my amazing uh, writers. Um, I do this all on my own. I sell all my own advertising. I, I get all my own subscriptions. In the beginning, of the first four years of the magazine, I did all my own web work. Thank goodness that's over. <laughs> uh, but <laughs> but all this stuff I've done on my own, and I've done it that way. I didn't take any grant money. I, I'm a I'm a business. Uh, I didn't take any outside money. Every every dollar that goes into the magazine is a dollar that's been earned, and I did it that way so that the next kid coming up, whether he wants to start his own car wash, or he wants to start a magazine, or he wants to do a fantastic radio show in the heart of Harlem, uh, I just want to shout out Rucker Parker. I never got to play there, but I did shoot a basket there, and I'm pretty proud of that. <laughs> um, <laughs> but they can do that, and they can do that on their own. They don't need their handheld. They don't need anyone's help. So. Just you know, there was a phrase back when I was kind of just suck it up, you know, and that's a terrible, terrible phrase. But at some point, you just got to put it on your shoulders and you got to take a deep breath and say, "I'm either going to be good at this and it's going to work, or I'm going to go back to my job that I had, and <laughs> selling cars." And and as long as I keep that mentality, and as long as another kid keeps that mentality, then you know, failure and success, that's completely arbitrary and it's completely up for interpretation. Okay. You know, I would have been happy with 100 subscribers for the whole life of the magazine. I would have been more than happy. But do I, do I bow my chest out a little bit more because I know I have subscribers all over the world? Yeah, I do. <laughs> because I work my tail off. And so as long as you're working your tail off, you know, your level of success is whatever level you dictate it to me.
0: Absolutely. And that's because this magazine actually aligned with who you are and what you wanted to do, right? It aligned with your why. Is that correct? Yeah,
1: I knew some things. Yeah, I knew some things. It was an area that I could help in.
0: Absolutely. So with that being said, I have to ask you, what is next for Chris Chmielinski and Foster Focus Magazine? What is next? What's coming up?
1: Well, that was the closest you've ever gotten to saying my name correctly. So uh, I think what's close. next is probably you saying my name correctly, which would be great. <laughs> I, <don't> think, <laughs> I can't wait to
0: see you in person.
1: Oh, man. I'm, <laughs> I'm running
0: from you. You know you're a lot bigger than I am, too. Yeah. <laughs>
1: So I'm scared, <laughs> yeah, man. but you look better in your clothes than I do. Uh, man. I look awful. Um, anyway, <laughs> don't believe uh, me, ladies next and gentlemen. Is, is a lot more of this. It's just a lot more of of, of great articles each month. I'm going to try and shine as much light as as many areas of care. I'm doing a lot of special needs stuff, a lot of LGBT stuff this year. Um, I want to get into a lot of uh, Native American foster care stuff. I want to expand the world for people in care. I want them to see more than just outside their back door.
0: Absolutely. And so, with that being said, after your last comment, it's Chimaleski.
1: That's my guy. Yes! Yes. I got
0: it. Your last name is
1: Brown. You don't understand the struggle.
0: (laughs) 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 Yeah, man. I'm trying because I'm sitting here. I, I remember talking to you. I'm like, dude, I... Really need to know how to say your name.
1: (laughs) I even put it on Facebook, they say it out loud for you, man. (laughs) I mean, see what had
0: happened was. (laughs) (laughs) The way my bank account is set up. Right. The way my the way my mind is working and things like that. But no, Chris, man, I wanna say man, thank you so much for, for being here and for allowing me to interview you, man. It's definitely it's an honor. Well, ladies and gentlemen, this is uh Chris Chmielinski, who is our guest today of uh, Foster Focus Magazine. I'm your host, Kevin Y. Brown. This is the Create Your Life series. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram at CYLSeries. And to stay tuned to CreateYourLifeSeries.com. Have a great one.